Welcome to The Blind Spot, a podcast where we explore human instinctual drives through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is John Lukovich, sexual self-prez 415-458 trifix. And I'm Karen Ance, self-prez social 3-wing 2-371 trifix. Welcome back, everybody, to uh, John and Kara's uh, new podcast, The Blind Spot, where we're looking at um, Enneagram as a whole, but specifically focusing on the instinctual drives and our relationships with our least developed instinct, our blind spot instinct. Thanks, John. Yeah, I um, was reviewing what we've talked about in our first couple of episodes, and last week we did a whole bunch of defining vocabulary And I noticed that um, it took us a lot into the head center. There was a lot of definitions and sort of just orienting people to language that we might be using. And after listening to that, I realized that it might be sweet to drop into the heart center and just talk a little bit about why we even do this work, like why we're called to it. And yeah, why this podcast? Like, what does this mean to you? And what I love about the way we're doing this is that I have no idea what you're going to say. And, you know, we're just kind of discovering this with each other. So I'm really curious to see what comes out and to just push on each other a little bit about what our own journeys are looking like, um, what our personal growth path is, what that means to us, and why this work? Why is this a part of it? I want you to go first. Mm. I want to hear what you have to say. Okay, cool. So, um, One of the things that my teacher, Russ Hudson, said in a class that I was in earlier this week is that, are we using this material to help people soften their identifications and see through them? Or are we just feeding people more data about who they think they are? And as I look at the Enneagram and I look at this work on the instincts and I look at you know, the efforts that we're making around languaging and sort of quote unquote, trying to get it right. Um, The reason this came up for me was that I realized that with my um, point three fixation, that I can sort of develop this bit of striving energy around getting to some kind of goal. And I was asking myself, like, what might my goal be with this? Like, what is my ego getting out of it? And as I've been listening to all of the different teachers, I've been noticing that there seems to be some confusion or some competition or some desire to like, quote unquote, like get it right. And I'm really drawn into this and I was curious as to why. And it seems like for me that the Enneagram and this work with the instincts has really been helpful for helping me to pay attention to areas that are actually really important for my growth. And as I've gone across my life journey, when I get to these tension places where I'm like, hmm, like, do I go left or do I go right? Do I prioritize this or do I prioritize that? That knowing my instinctual stack can support me in making my decisions and realizing that it's all a great big experiment and there are things in my life that I feel like have gone well and I'm happy with that choice. And there are things in my life where I'm like, hmm, yeah, it didn't quite go exactly like how I thought it might in that situation. And as I've been doing my work, I've really had to do a lot of work with self-acceptance and just looking at what my ego structure especially as a three and being very sensitive to praise and blame and what other people are thinking about the way I'm showing up and being an attachment type and really having an interesting relationship to the people in my life that I've really needed these maps in order to help me find my North Star and see where it is that I want to go. And there's been so much about this that feels really liberating that I specifically reached out to you, I think, because you have this edge and this authenticity and this courage to kind of say things, sometimes even in a way that might be hard to hear, but there's like so much truth there. And what I've really enjoyed about you is that when you do get pushback on things, it's really coming from that five wing that's really heavily researched something and you have some great arguments about Um, why you want it to be this way. And yet, I think being from the heart center, 
I'm resonating with how much tenderness and care that you have underneath it around what this all brings up. So for me, I would have to say that the reason I'm drawn to this work is that it's giving me access to healing in a way that as a physician I haven't had access to before. It's more healing in the heart and the mind, and that's what it's done for me. And these maps and these definitions and these frameworks for looking at things have really helped me to gain important clarity. And I'm really hoping that we're able to do that for other people. So I'd have to say that's why, what's the, what, that's what this means to me from my heart space. Cool. Well, and thank you for the kind things you said. Yeah, I, I resonate a lot with what you're speaking to, you know, and just having a different frame around it, I guess, which for me, it's first like just the Enneagram work like just what my fascination with it is, it really, I mean, the Enneagram and working with it and what it illuminates and, and, and what it shows us is the primary doorway to working to encounter some of like the mystery behind it all. You know, that our identifications are what prevent us from being what we authentically are. They represent the, the types and patterns within the Enneagram represent the traps yeah, that our consciousness gets enmeshed in. So, I mean, just that way that this very bizarre looking, you know, occult looking symbol speaks to some inherent structure of our attention and how attention is this fulcrum for uh, like a bigger, deeper mystery that really is at the heart of the human, everything human. And, you know, just, you know, I just got back from Peru and looking at, the, some of the sacred sites there and my fascination with Egypt. It's like, this is what the whole game is about. Um, but also for me, myself, it's just been enormously useful in, in healing and in navigating uh, what the hell is going on in just being alive, uh, trying to understand myself, understand other people. But in terms of like the Enneagram work and then more specifically the work uh, of this podcast, you know, it's, it's just following the thread of what's been interesting and what's been useful to me is like what led to my book and what led to a lot of the, a lot of what I give energy to. A lot of it comes from, like, I, I want to share it because a lot of it comes from having wished I'd known some of these things and had these tools way long time ago. And some of these discernments and these distinctions and working with people, seeing how much it seems to be useful and relevant and helpful to them. And so in this podcast in particular, like, I feel like the blind spot is a real working understanding of the instincts and the blind spot would just be such an incredible vocabulary, an incredible tool for people working on themselves or working with other people. Like just how different mainstream psychology and therapy would be if we just had these distinctions. We had the... the understanding of how we get identified with specific ego instinctual agendas on an egoic level. And then what we're avoiding to maintain our ego agenda, what we're trying not to integrate and how to integrate it by getting in touch with the living energy in the body. And so, uh, you know, doing it with you, Kara, it's like, uh, I think that we have very complementary energies, very opposite complementary energies. And they were both interested in the same thing from different angles, different approaches. Like, you know, I think that you're very clearly like a healer on multiple levels that, that, that yeah, that we just have this, a, a shared sincere interest in the same thing, but we bring a lot of different uh, tools to it in a way that I think is going to be really interesting. But for most of all, for listeners and stuff, I, I hope that this is a way that we can apply the theory into a practice that's like not just educational, but it's also transformative and gripping and uh, demonstrates the work of the instincts of transformation of whatever, demonstrates it in such a way that it's not just left up to making sure I read the right definitions and I'm doing my best to apply them in my own separate life, but that you're getting a sort of full download on the gestalt the whole three-centered impression of what this work can mean with people. So you said a couple things that I just want to get clarity on. 
So you said, first of all, I love the Enneagram because it's really helped me to understand my authentic self, I think you he- I heard you say, as mm-hmm. well as I really view it as a tool for transformation. I was wondering if you'd be willing to share, like, what is your authentic self? What is that piece that you love connecting to? And what does transformation look like to you? How do you know it when you see it? Yeah, I appreciate those questions because, I mean... You know, yeah, using the term authentic self, it almost posits authentic self like it's a thing or like a uh, an, another personality to go to or an affect or an attitude to draw from. And uh, I think especially that as you and I both being uh, image types, it can seem like, oh, an image that better fits me than this other image. What I think is uh, really important to ha- for me, for my understanding, my experience as a four, which as a type four, trying to kind of put a box around my identity and say like, this is me and that's not me. Make those like, to push everything away, to reject it, to kind of hone in on what's uniquely mine. Uh, all that's very artificial. We, what I could call my authentic self is not a thing so much as an experience of being being in a a present sense flow of identity. It's not like identity as a place I'm coming from, but a dropping into what is, um, it's like a, like, like being in the river as it's flowing rather than trying to find like the source of the river where yeah. it's like, the more I try to trace this, like the, finding the source is like a good thing, but it's like requires inner work. It's like a higher thing. Mm. Or as I think, at least for image types, or maybe just a four or just myself, in the past, when I was younger, it was like trying to find the source, but the source is like a thing to grab onto. Mm. And and it's sort of um, being removed from the experience rather than being the experience. Yeah. And what do you like about being your authentic self? Like, what is your experience of the moments you've touched into your authentic self? Why is that a good thing for you and the world? How is that different than when John's not connected to your authentic self? Well, I think, you know, on the, the, the first, the main kind of like emotional conflict that we all have is primarily how to connect with ourselves. Like, obviously, there's the emotional conflicts around the instincts. And that's kind of the deal is that we get confused about this emotional conflicts with instincts versus emotional conflicts with, you know, our sense of self. And we start to think our sense of self comes from how we're doing our instincts. But even that conflict or that problem or that confusion is a byproduct of this very human experience of consciousness trying to know itself on its own terms. And so to be really uh, yourself, to, to experience yourself, it's like there's a sense of, there's the whole sense of, uh, things feel better from like, you know, mm. you're, you're more in touch with your capacities. You're, you're having a more, a rich sense of life. You're making decisions that like come from something deep inside you that feel congruent with your inner and outer feels congruent, but, but even, even more deeply, uh, whatever you could, could call the experience of an authentic self, it feels like you're a part of the cosmos. You're doing mm. your part in the cosmic functioning. You're fulfilling your role as a human being in a larger ecosystem of something much bigger than yourself. So am I hearing that it's like really um, integrated and supportive and there's like a sense of ease to it where like you're doing your part and yet you're not doing at all. You're just showing up as you and it's contributing. Is it something like that? Yeah. It's like you're, uh, you know, you're performing your cosmic service and, Mm. and you're doing like, I think we all have a sense that we should be doing something in a, in a very general way, but we're all not sure what to do and how to be doing it. And it's not really a doing in terms of a functioning, but it's, there's a way to be installed in oneself that you're, you're not alienated or estranged from something that has just an inherent sense of meaning and purpose. Mm, you know yeah. that like it's hard to say like what gives something meaning but we all know the difference between feeling like something's meaningful and something's not meaningful or just trying to tell ourselves that something is meaningful and all the ego activities we put into that we yeah. can all feel that we're doing that because we feel estranged from something yeah and we're estranged from something 
And I also think sometimes we're estranged from each other. Like this word interdependence is coming up. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when people are showing up as their authentic selves, um, there was another line that Russ said from class that, you know, as soon as I am justifying or defending, I'm living out an egoic pattern. But when I can really rest into the sense that there's nothing to fear, there's nothing to promote, there's nothing to defend, I'm just here being in my experience and sharing it and willing to be there with you and yours and get curious about the alchemy and the emergence of that. For me, that feels like this other piece of transformation or transcendence that we were talking about because it's not like we're these independent nodes, but suddenly we're connecting in a way that feels pretty beautiful and sometimes there's some real insight and progress that comes out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's, I mean, in in the language of Gurdjieff, there's this sense of uh, paying the debt of your existence and working for the future. You know, this it, this sense that there is something that human beings do do or have a, a role to play in the universe, and that it's not just the universe is indifferent. And it's not just that you're a like a piece of uh, organic waste doing its own playing out its own programs. There's there is some other thing happening in the cosmos. Maybe yeah, it's like that holy plan, that holy harmony that there is, you know, a force that is all moving us towards something, and we're all showing up in our own way. And even the friction we create with each other has, you know, a lot of gold there and a lot of things that we can mine and learn from and are infusing into whatever it is that we discover and create. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So where I was hoping that we could go, because I said that I was sort of inspired by Russ was talking about these three lines of work and Mm. that if we don't do all three, that our work will stall. And so I thought that maybe we could talk a little bit about our experience of doing these lines of work, just to share a little bit about our journey and what we hope to help people Um, guide them towards wherever they happen to be on their own. And this first line of work that he was talking about was this work on yourself, that just basically working on presence, trying to be more awake, and acknowledging that we really can't do this first line of work alone, that this is why we really need each other to mirror off of each other and to be able to go deeper and be honest and be real and to do that in a way that we can actually look at these patterns because we know that we're in a community where we don't want to judge. We don't want to say it's right or wrong. We really want to look at it with this goal of understanding so that we can first see where we're coming from before we even move into those next steps. So uh, how does that all land for you and um, how's that been showing up for you and where are you at? Where's your growth edge with that? You mean like what's like been my personal work? Yeah. Like what, um, well, your presence practice, I was hoping maybe you'd talk a little bit about, um, you're in the Gurdjieff group with movements and things like this is one of your practices. And I'm just curious, like what else is helping you to continue cultivating presence? How do you check in with that? I know your breath work is important, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah. So historically, like I did many years of breathwork training and then I've been in a Gurdjieff group and part of the Gurdjieff group pre-COVID was meeting for movements, which uh, the Gurdjieff movements are very, you know, a whole complicated thing, but they're basically like movements or dances that um, require a lot of attention to do and that demand a lot of you. And so they don't necessarily bring about any transformation, but the efforts to do them bring about a, a certain clarity of attention. And so that was a major practice. And that's something that like, I've actually, since COVID has been happening um, and have not been able to do it, I can feel like the lack of that like level of combining a physical practice with an attention practice in a consistent deep way like that. Um, so that was, I mean, that, that was one of the, that's, I love the movements, even though they're really difficult, but yeah. So, I mean, day to day, uh, I have as part of my, my group, uh, we have a morning exercise 
like a 45 minute practice, it's not quite a meditation because you're, you know, you might be, for example, sensing your right arm and then your right leg and then your left leg and your left arm and going in a cycle like that as you pray in the heart center to combine sensation and feeling. But no matter what, I'm usually doing a sensation-based practice that also will include the heart and the mind, but it's almost always rooted in sensation, especially as a four, being um, estranged from the body center. That's super important for me. Um, Back before COVID, I was also in a men's group, which we did Taekwondo in, which was a good physical practice. But then the men's work uh, is like, it's based in the work of Carl Jung. And so, you know, Gurdjieff work is working on one's being, right? And I want to get to that distinction in a second, like working on personality versus working on being. Um, But working in the men's group was like working with archetypes and working with different emotional patterns and um, working with aggression and especially being uh, among and with men, how much, uh, how kind of fucked up our relationship to aggression is where we're sort of not given a real outlet to express aggression in a healthy, natural way. And so it gets kind of all fucked up and unable to, to, to like aggression coming out in a smooth embodied way. So it was a lot of men's group work. Um, and I haven't been able to do that because of COVID, but yeah, on a daily thing, it's like at least the morning exercise, but trying to just like, like I was in a, I went to a wedding this weekend and I was in a car and when you're in the, you know, you waste a lot of time in a car just being mindful of my breath and like cycling sensation through my limbs and trying to do that work. Uh, you know, that's like, and, and then occasional breath work sessions, things like that. So that's yeah. like, yeah, my personal stuff. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I, I both, um, it helps me to get to know you and what your practice is like. And I think it really helps our listeners to just know what our paths have looked like, because there may be different things that we say that people resonate with. And I know that when I was starting my journey, it's like, why did I find what I found? It's because something said some said something about something and you go and you check it out. And I uh, love this line from Rumi, which says, the door is round and open, meaning that we're all trying to find our way back to essence. And yet there are so many different paths. So I think just speaking these into the space and if something lights you up, I encourage listeners to go check that out. I mean, there are people doing these different practices. And I think when you're walking around the regular world, I think talk of practice, talk of presence, like these are just not things that are in the lexicon. I mean, on some way with the McMindful movement, I'll call it, you know, it's like everybody (laughs) thinks they know something about mindfulness or meditation. And yet the deeper you go, in my experience, the more I discover that I'm not awake to. So I just think it's important to name these things and give people who are starting to listen and starting to explore a lot of different ways to be with this. And I think one of the things that I want to dive into in this podcast are a lot of things around gender. I love that you're in a men's group. I didn't even know that. And I actually am raising three teenage boys right now, which I think is an interesting project. And I really care deeply about how can I raise men that are embodying a healthy version of masculinity, because I Mm -hmm. think these masculine and feminine energies are so important to be mindful of and just know what's showing up in us in any given point in time. And I loved what you mentioned about showing healthy forms of aggression. I've had a lot of thoughts about how organized sports have been that for a lot of men. But if you're not a guy that wants to be in organized sports, and my 14-year-old happens to be one of those kids uh, he might be a four, John, a four or two. He rides that arrow. And um, we we spend a lot of time. Uh, he's my only uh, heart-centered kid that likes to talk about this stuff. And he's like, Mom, he likes to tell me about random thoughts he has that he can't tell anybody else. And he's like, he does this martial arts, like sword fighting, choreo gumdo thing. And he's like, Mom, sometimes, though, I just want to find a way of fighting where I can, like, punch somebody in the face And I don't like really want to hurt them, but there's just this like thing about punching somebody in the face. And I'm like, you know, that is an instinctual drive. Like in a 14 year old boy, like I could see how he was like a little nervous to even admit that like, sometimes I just get this idea that it might feel good to punch someone in the face. 
Did yeah. you ever have that feeling as a teenager or now? I mean, as a <laughs> teenager, um, we started like a very dumb fight club in a near near a dumpster in a parking lot uh, near my school. You know, like yeah, like so yeah, like you know you like. I mean, I I'm terrible at sports and I hate them. Uh, but uh, I played lacrosse for a little bit, and that was the only sport I could enjoy because like it's so like contact you know like just slamming your body into another person so yeah totally yeah well it's just fun having three boys i watch him just slam his body into his two older brothers until they finally beat down on him but i just see him looking for contact you know since he's not in organized sports so i like that you mentioned that about men's group i think that that's so important for men to really be in spaces where they feel like they can safely connect with that masculine energy. And I think that um, women have had more circles where women connect with each other. And I think that we've seen that more classically, but I think that there are certain zones that women haven't felt as free in. I know we're going to talk about the sexual instinct on this podcast. And I think that the way women have been raised to be in relationship with that can sometimes be problematic as well. Mm -hmm. So as a physician, um, I think that I've had the opportunity to talk to people about some pretty intimate things, and I think it'll be fun to um, explore some of those things on the podcast. But coming it back to myself and what does my own practice look like, I first found my way to insight meditation, and I found that just sitting and concentrating on my breath was really important because as a point three, I never just sat. So to just sit and have to be really helped me to realize what was going on in my crazy monkey mind. And then to just try practicing shifting attention away from that and coming back to the body was really important for me. I think to first just recognize that think, do, think, do that happens at point three And so I was able to realize that so much of what I was doing was just this impulsive reaction to thoughts that I was having. And then if it didn't land with somebody the right way, that was kind of shocking. But of course not. It it isn't now because I was bypassing the heart. So for me, um, heart-centered practices are really important. And when I think of my heart-centered practices, this is why I love um, resonant healing and I love uh, nonviolent communication and empathy because it's in relationship with another person that I find that my heart is really moved. And when I can speak authentically about my experience, I can really drop in and feel those feelings that are really easy for me to bypass. And when I open myself up to really taking in the experience of another person, I can feel that energetic quality in my own heart. So one of my practices that I think has made me a better doctor is that I will notice if I'm rushing or I'm feeling behind and if something's coming up for a person, can I just notice that emotions are here? And can I just invite myself in that moment to slow down and take that breath and come to the body? And for me, there really is this energetic heart opening that can occur. And for me, that's how I've started to recognize the heart-body connection. And for me, that feels like the most important because when my heart is open and I'm grounded in the body, my mind just settles right down. And it just feels like the right words come from me without being orchestrated or manipulated by my mind that may be trying to orchestrate a certain situation. So I also have just joined a diamond group. So that body awareness practice of the arms and the legs and sensation has been really important for me. I do that 20 minutes in the morning before I move on with my day. And similarly, I'll just notice whenever I'm feeling tension in the body or I'm feeling contraction around the heart. For me as a point three, that's often when I'm feeling impatient or I'm waiting I don't really enjoy that. So, you know, you talked about being in a car or I'll do it when I'm waiting in line. Specifically, have you ever like been behind somebody in a grocery store that like, you know, can't find their checkbook or they like can't find the code? And you're like, for me, I'm like, wow, I just picked the worst line here. And then it's like, can I come to my feet? Can I come to my breath? Can I open awareness to seeing, 
sensing, listening, and just like using those moments that I historically would have spent getting really frustrated and just really drop into the reality of that moment. So those are some of the ways that I'm working with that. And in terms of the Sangha, oh, that's been so important to me. And honestly, um, I'd had thoughts about launching this podcast alone, but I'm really happy that we've decided to do this together because I think that we're forming a little Sangha here. And by being able to bounce these things off of each other, I think we're less likely to just get stuck in a thought loop without um, questioning it. And then the bigger the group that you practice with, it's just the more different people that we're mirroring off of and learning from and getting reflections with. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that was the first line of work. So the second line of work um, that I learned about is this learning to work with someone else consciously, you know, noticing like what needs to get done. And when we're trying to work with other people towards a common goal, like where is it that we get tripped up? Being socially blind, I could imagine that sometimes working with a group towards an objective could be kind of frustrating and social second in my stack. And I still know that groups, I like to carefully select them because there can be a lot of stuff that comes up within groups that we have to work on within myself. So instead of getting reactive as soon as I'm with other people, can I see this reactivity that's coming up? Do I have some skills to work with it? And when I notice somebody else getting reacted or triggering or you know getting into their pattern, do I have some skills to help support them so that we can really drop whatever the identifications are that we're having and just really meet that person so that we can really enter a zone of collaboration? So I was wondering if you'd speak at all about how that's been for you kind of getting into that second line of work. Yeah, I mean, the... the predominant way I understand the second line of work is not necessarily, I mean, it can be for a goal, but just like, you know, being in a group, like being in a work group. And so, um, you know, you're speaking about personality or I, I mentioned personality versus being work. And I think that's something that's important distinction. And that is often confused a lot where like there is a lot of work we need to do on our personalities and to like have a more functional, uh, healthier, balanced, stronger personality. Uh, but sometimes that gets confused with working on being where working on being is working on your being, your capacity to be present. And so sometimes that does mean working in your capacity to be present to your personality, but it's kind of just unconditional being. And so sometimes I'll see people, uh, you know, speaking of groups, go from, oh, I used to hang out with these people, but now I hang out with these more spiritual people. Or uh, I used to just have like regular sex and now I have tantric sex. Or I used to just eat whatever, now I eat organic food. And all those things are great, uh, but they're just improvements to the personality and they're not being work. And so, you know, the first and second line of work both require both aspects, both sides, but yeah, working with others, uh, you know, in my Gurdjieff group, it's kind of great. Cause like, there's still a lot of people, I don't even know their names because there's not a lot of personal anything there. When we go to on retreats, uh, you know, it's, it's not only silent, but we're not supposed to like acknowledge, like we're not supposed to like give each other winks or nods or little things. It's just to be without personality, to drop your personality as much as possible. And that's a really interesting experience because I'm sure there's a lot of people in my group I would not even like, but we have this resonance from years of working together. But I would say like I, my first experience of really belonging to like an inner work group had to do with uh, my breathwork training with Jessica Dib, um, which I did for like six or seven years. And, you know, Jessica is a type two, uh, her, was it school? inspiration community its vibe is really not mine it's really different from mine it's you know it's very two two-ish and there's a, it's very uh positive outlook and um expressive and personal and emotive and all these qualities that i don't identify with and so it was great for me because it was really challenging it was really outside my comfort zone and allowed me to be with those things without needing to be like, oh, this is me or not me and not play that rejecting game or not. Um, 
had had taught me a lot about how to be with other people and other people be with other people suffering. You know, it also gave me a lot of empathy because, you know, people are all really messed up. And so you just see like how like you'd, you'd have these like very normal, functional seeming uh, adults that would like I was like in my early 20s and I would see like just really functional, normal looking people have these immense things that they were just carrying with them or issues or sensitivities. And I was like, whoa, just the the Pandora's box everybody's carrying around is huge. So yeah, that, 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 that work especially, um, challenged me just enormously. I mean, there, you know, and I don't want to trivialize cause I'm not, I'm not trying to trivialize, but just as an example, you know, like, like eye gazing with somebody or something like that, like, is that as, as the kind of thing to do? And like me just like wanting to run away when all these people are like giving me these like teary eyed, soft smiles and stuff like this, not to say that's the whole thing at all, at all, but, but that kind of energy makes me just want to like, like burn something down or like, uh, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> we did, we did breath work around each, um, each month of gestation in the womb. And so like getting in touch with people's inner child stuff in like a very overt way was very wild, you know, just like having any kind of play that nurturing role and, and all, all that kind of, especially to people that were like twice my age, you know, it was like really interesting. So, um, see so there's that, but then there's also just, yeah, like continuing to work with people and just like being withdrawn type, uh, is a big challenge. Just having energy and knowing how to like skillfully, not just push past my lack of energy, but like how to like, um, let's, how do I want to put it? Like speaking to what I like, how to actually navigate this like crappy amount of energy I'm given every day, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real difficulty. And I mean, uh, belonging, doing, doing, you know, different kinds of sessions with people and stuff like that. Like you come up with, I, I feel like working with clients is like a big second line of work thing for me. You know, like I'm, I have to show up for them and I have to be in touch with myself for them. Uh, but also like, you know, when someone has a negative reaction to something, how to like stand in that too and how to work at that stuff. So yeah, that's, um, I'm, I'm not really sh wrapping this up in a tight bow or something, but that's like all that feels very in that area for me. Yeah. So, and I appreciate you talking about this, John, because, and I just want to, you know, like I said, I just learned about this framework from Russ earlier this week. Is this from Gurdjieff? It's, or is this from Russ or, yeah, is Gurdjieff. this part of Gurdjieff's work? Yeah. And um, this is a realm that I'm really curious about. And for me, I was really resonating with what you were saying in that being a physician for the last 20 years and being with people in moments of getting cancer diagnoses and with family members who are dying and, you know, dealing with somebody who gets prostate cancer and loses all, you know, sexual function and incontinence and, you know, helping women navigate menopause. There's like so many tender, tender things. And it is kind of mind blowing that, that, you know, I went to medical school and learned all this stuff in my mid twenties when you don't experience any of it and you learn it in a very mechanical way. And it was really coming out into the community where I've been practicing for 20 years. And I feel so grateful that I've actually been able to traverse like a 20-year lifespan with a group of people in a community because I've watched people graduate college, get married, have babies, get divorced, you know, get sick, lose people. And it's so, um, I'm so grateful that I've also gotten to be within whole family systems. So I will take care of the parents and the grandparents and the adult children and the siblings and the book group. And, you know, you're just hearing about what's going on in these systems from so many different perspectives. And that was all really um, a gift to be able to experience and to have people invite you in with that. And then in my own life, as things became complicated and I went through, you know, my own motherhood experience and you know, divorce and just navigating life, you know, the complexities of life. It just really, really, uh, you get, it's one thing to watch somebody else's suffering. It's start to experience it on your own level that I think really starts to 
push you towards saying, if you're open to it, wow, like, how do I first like help myself so that then I can start offering some of these things to other people in a way that feels approachable and that they can access? Because I think it's so great that like you went to Jessica's school and, you know, invested all that time. And, you know, I've done a bunch of retreats and things as well. But I love how Gurdjieff talks about this fourth way, which is like doing it in the real world. And like mm -hmm. putting out a podcast like this, like we're trying to bring some of these super tender things like right into people's, you know, headphones, wherever they are in their daily life. And we're going to be bringing people on that we're going to interview and hear about their pain points and just about how is this showing up and how do we even start to work with that? And I think another reason that I was really excited to work with you is because I know that we both want to do this podcast Yes, to nail down some of the um, misunderstandings that might be out there around type and instincts, but also to really support people in launching themselves into the next phase of their own growth, whatever that might be, mm. and bringing the experience that we've cultivated into that. So that's sort of my experience of this second line of work. And do you want to go ahead and comment on how you experienced the third line? Because this is really new for me, and I love hearing how you've been sitting with it and working with it and imagining it. Yeah. So the, the third line of work is working for the sake of the work. And sometimes that gets interpreted as like promoting the work or advocating for it or something like that. And I, I don't find that to be uh, accurate. I think that working for the sake of the work is, I, I alluded to earlier, but like paying the debt of our existence. And what I mean by that is that, um, well, an esoteric idea is that there is a certain amount that is required from us by the divine, by the world, whatever you want to call it, by the universe. And that if there is any sense that there's a purpose of our individual existence, it's to contribute some something energetic through through doing our work, through serving something. And so uh, in these esoteric, you know, ancient ideas, uh, that if you don't pay the debt of your existence, you your soul or the potential for a soul that you have, your essence, whatever, just recycled into the cosmic fertilizer. And even um, in a more negative sense, that if uh, if human beings don't play their intended role, that the cosmic whatever forces get out of balance, uh, they're not getting the food they need, and it's extracted through disasters and stuff like this. Um, so it's kind of an interesting idea and kind of compelling idea. And you can take that as just metaphor. You can take that as that if people just don't work on themselves, things fall apart, whether that's a cosmic purpose or whether it's just human psychology, but even moreover, working for the sake of the work is a way to, of doing inner work that is not for anything. That's not for yourself. You're not even taking on the ego role of benefiting other people. It's working for the sake of the work. It's undertaking inner work as just a, as a necessity of some kind, but it's not for your personal, you're not grasping for the results of, oh, I'm, I feel more present and I can, and the, you know, feel that like that sense of contact and all the great things come from that. Nor is it that like, oh, this is going to be a great benefit to people or the world or the universe. It's like, I, I think of working for, there's a lot of different interpretations. Some people talk about it as working for the future, that the work in itself is something that will, um, that is, that, it, that we're working to have it be born in the future and that we won't even see the result of it. Mm. Um, but I, I think it's a way of, I understand or experience it as a way to work without any sense of result or consequence, that it is trying to work from a place of absolute selflessness and an absolute sense of how can it be ab like, how can there be no, in a sense, results that my personality wants or grasps for, and yet something I do with my full heart and full being. Yeah. And so that in a sense, it's like, have I ever worked for the sake of the work? Probably not, but it's an aim. Yeah. And I think it's a really crucial. What, do you work for? what does your ego work for? What does John's ego work for? I think uh, a sense of fascination with 
um there's like the like like you know i'm a four and the idea of four the, the four is looking for what who they are what's going on and especially as a four of the five wing there's this sense of i like am in the wrong plane of reality mm-hmm. and so part of my work or interest in it is like what like how do i navigate being in this wrong plane like what's the what's the mechanism behind all the apparent phenomenon and like where the fuck does a pyramid come from like where what's like the weird special underlying thing that all these surfaces prevent us from being in contact with yeah so there's like that real um and that almost sounds like head centery like you know like it's like thinking about it and wondering about it and like is it something like that it's not so much thinking about it but it's like wanting a direct heart contact with this source of mystery this source okay. of identity this source of where it's all emanating from. Yeah, yeah. And okay. so there's a head center piece to that of witnessing it. But for more, more than anything, it's like to know myself as that unfolding, as that streaming, as that, mm. you know, what I spoke to much earlier about like identity is not a thing to conceptualize, but as an experiential unfolding. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I think that my ego, you know, is a three with a two wing. You know, they nicknamed the life coach. So, yeah, there's definitely this thing I have to check in on as like the whole reason I even started on a growth journey was that I went to a mindfulness based eating awareness training so that I could help my patients work with eating. And then I got there and meditated for the first time. And I'm like, hmm, this kind of seems good for me. And then like the whole shift. And so I think I have to be really conscious of maybe a bit of a savior complex that could develop with that three, two wing and also um, being seen, being heard, you know, being, you know, brilliant or, you know, having a little bit of that, like Tony Robbins-esque thing going on or something. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the kind of part that is there that I have to presence that, you know, I don't want to like reject because there are some gifts that it gives me. And yet when I think about this third line of work, like it feels really inspiring, like thinking about it and trying to embody it and even talking about it brings me to what feels more like an essence point of three where I can feel like a warmth in my chest. It sort of has that gold quality. There's like a sunniness to it and like a hope. And I sometimes make the joke that like we should all do this work because if everybody did this work, how could we not have world peace? I'm like, so yeah, that's all I want. Like world peace. Everybody's, you know, kumbaya and happy and no suffering. And yeah. And so obviously I don't think we're going to see that in our lifetime. And I love how you talked about how we're all specialized. You know, we didn't pick our type. There's all these types on the planet because we're all serving a different role and hoping to help this cosmos move towards something better whatever better is, not even trying to know what that even is. And when I was hearing you talk, I was really hearing about that quality of non-attachment, you know, Mm. just not needing whatever work we're doing to result in a specific outcome, even if that is, you know, less suffering. I think it's perfectly normal to want to suffer less in whatever way we are suffering. But to know that just because you're still suffering doesn't mean you're doing your work or your practice wrong, Mm -hmm. that you're doing it for the sake of the practice. And that's also connecting me to that, you know, that holy quality of faith. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm doing it because I believe that it matters and that it will have some impact of which is probably none of my business. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, as we'll discover, and I think as we interview people, there's suffering that we're that we experience and there's suffering that we don't know that how that we're suffering Mm. like what i mean is like the blind spot the blind spot like like we don't there's so much suffering that we're actually even if we feel fine right now from the point of view of essence at least we're suffering big time yeah and that's something that's like kind of uh one of the the scary things about picking apart instinct is that you might feel totally fine, like everything's great, but from the point of view of essence, you're suffering. And as you start to work on yourself and as you start to see more and you start to see how limited essence is and how buried and how convoluted, at least you, you start suffering consciously. 
Yeah. And to suffer consciously is like an, an aim. Yeah, like that's that point nine where we're all starting from, which we just need to wake up and just even see like what's really happening. And right. then we all need to, you know, ride that triangle where at point three, we stop lying to ourselves about what's happening and then or hopefully arrive at point six where we have some courage to actually take some action and maybe start a practice or whatever it yeah. is to just yeah. start shifting. Yeah, exactly. Well put. Well, I think that this was great. It really met my need for um, getting to the heart of why we're doing this. And I think that the language we talked about really uh, touched in on the head. And I think on a podcast, it's harder to do that body work. I think that's the part you have to show up for and, you know, in your practices or in your Gurdjieff group or in your yoga practice or however it is that you're doing that body-based work. But I think we might actually be ready to launch into talking about the instincts next time. That'd be awesome. All right. Well, thanks, John. Well, thank you, Kara. If you enjoyed this, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and various Android platforms. If you leave a rating or review for us on Apple Podcasts, it helps us out a lot. And if you really enjoy our show and want to support John and I in creating more great content for you, you can go to our website, EnneagramBlindspots.com, and join our Patreon page where even $5 a month can really support our efforts to make this podcast sustainable without having to include annoying ads. On our website, you can also join our mailing list where John and I will send out offerings for webinars, discussion groups, and other great ways to continue learning with us. John and I also have personal coaching practices where you can sign up to work with us one-on-one -on -one as well as group offerings. John is currently offering a book study group on Zoom and Kara offers two classes on Wednesday evenings. In one class, she teaches mindfulness-based approaches for working with anxiety, unhealthy lifestyle habits, as well as unskillful habits of personality. She also teaches a class where she combines her knowledge of the Enneagram, resonant healing, and nonviolent communication for working through relational difficulties. And please buy John's book, The Instinctual Drives in the Enneagram, to get a deeper understanding of how working with your blind spot can really lead to personal transformation. We look forward to connecting with you soon.